What a beautiful morning of celebration and honor for our fathers here as well as our Father in heaven. Let's see here. My Bible's too heavy. That's good. I'll be. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. It's been a powerful morning. I am so excited to be a part of a women's ministry that works and strives so hard to use their talents and their gifts in order to honor our Father in Heaven. And as far as my contribution this morning, I'm like a little girl in first or second grade who gets to do show and tell. And uh, she's decided to pick her father as her subject. So she goes to work with him, she watches him in the garage, helps him in the yard while he works, and then she pays extra close attention when he's reading to her at night. And I feel like that's what I've been doing for the past year and a half, is I've been paying extra close attention to our Father in Heaven, and thankfully he's been able to open my eyes to something new about him that I never saw before. And so I'm excited this morning to, to give that to you as a show and tell. But I'm going to tell first, show later. But um, I've been a Christian for a really long time. Um, I've been at this church for 16 years, which is over half my life. And um, before that, I went to Christian schools. And before that, I was a part of the church that both my parents were in ministry. So I have been surrounded by church culture and uh, Christianity for a long time. And what I think happened was in Awanas and Sunday school and Bible class, I learned a lot about God. And I think what we do sometimes is when there's so much to learn and there's so much to know and there, you can't kind of put your finger on divinity, you sort of carve out a little chunk of what you can wrap your head around. And so I think that's what I have done in my faith is even though I've learned about all the different aspects and characteristics of God, I've carved out this chunk that I could wrap my head around and possibly maybe control. And so what this corner or this chunk or this quadrant looks like for me in my relationship to God has been one of obedience. I know that God has laws that we're meant to follow. I know that he has wishes that are meant to be fulfilled by us. I know that he wants our fruits of the spirit. And so what I would do is I would sort of translate what I thought he was asking me, whether it was from a sermon or a class or the Bible, into obedience. And so I would just follow straight along, making sure that I checked off the task list and I made sure that I did exactly as I was told. I made good choices. I've lived, a, a, I think, a pretty upstanding life. I've had great family, great friends, great support in and of this church. And yet somehow I felt like I was lacking a little bit. At the end of the day, I wanted more than anything for God to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. But is that all there is to our relationship with Christ? A servant to his master? In the New Testament, there's several different variations of relationship and intimacy with Christ. It starts off as a sheep to a shepherd. We move on to a servant to his master. Then the verses say, I no longer call you servant, but I call you friend. And even more so like the verse in First John today, a father or a daughter, a father to his son or daughter, and then ultimately an intimate relationship of a bride and a bridegroom. So I thought there's got to be more than, than just this servant and master relationship, just me fulfilling these tasks that are laid before me that I've heard about in church or I've heard about in Sunday school or I've heard about all of these things that God wants for me, and I'm trying so hard to do those things but yet I'm still left unfulfilled. Is there more? Is there a possibility for more in my relationship with Christ than simply a servant to her master? And I felt like Jesus is saying, yes, absolutely. And in my longing and in my wanting, I feel like he opened my eyes to something that I had never seen or understood before. I'd heard about it, but I'd never understood it. 
I think a lot of times we hear terms like faith, hope, love. We hear grace. We hear mercy. We hear atonement. We hear sacrifice. We hear forgiveness, repentance, salvation. And then there's this word that I hear a lot, and I just kind of glossed over it because I didn't know what it meant. And it's the word redemption. Redemption is this word that's in songs. It's in hymns. But yet I don't know that I've ever seen someone live it out or, or recognize that that's what they were living out. I'm sure that they are, but I, I just never really put the two and two together. So I just kind of glossed over it. It didn't fit into my nice quadrant of things that I understood. It was some, someplace else. And so over the course of the past year and a half, God has taught me a little bit about redemption. And that's what I hope to share with you this morning. And thankfully, I didn't have to do it on my own. He led me straight to a verse and a passage of scripture that I think helped tie my loose ends together. We were studying last year in a book in Women's Women, which, by the way, is on Wednesdays at 9.30 a.m. and Thursdays at 6.30 p.m. We were studying this book in Women's Women, and we came across this passage that was um, kind of hard like, to get my hand around. Marcella, are you here this morning? Marcella? Anybody? Okay. Somebody, uh, anybody here? Um, Marcella is somebody who is in our Women to Women PM, and she and I shared the same passion for this verse because it was so hard to get our heads around and understand what it really was all about. And it's Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. This is the definition of why Jesus was coming. It's the prophecy of what he was coming to do. This was his job description. If he was sending out a resume, this is what it would say he was capable of doing and what he would indeed do. It was a promise. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me too. This is what he's going to do. Preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all those who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting for the Lord, for the display of his splendor. Now, the word redeem is not in that passage. So it's not that I came across this verse that said, this is what redemption looks like. So what I had to do was come around and start asking myself, okay, well, what, what is redemption look like? What does that even mean? And not just a dictionary textbook definition, but how is it used in our daily life? How do we get our heads around redemption? So I thought, you know, the only other time I've ever heard the word redemption in our daily life is with a coupon. You know, you, you bring your $2 off coupon and you get to redeem it for $2 off your meal or $2 off your purchase. And so I thought, okay, redemption, redeem, coupon. Well, what it lends itself is that you bring forth something and you get something in return. Well, everything else that I had studied in my little quadrant was that we just basically offer up our repentance or God gives something to us, like the gift of grace and the gift of mercy and the gift of salvation or the fruits of the Spirit are gifts. And so it's sort of a one-way thing. It's not really an exchange. But redemption has a whole other connotation to it, that you bring and you offer something and you get something in return. Well, now, I've been offering... I think my whole life, my service, my, my faithfulness, my good works, my faith, my doing good things. And yet I don't know that I've ever experienced necessarily the, the, the gladness, the crown of beauty, um, the, the freedom, those kinds of things, the light. And so here I'm thinking, wait a second. What we bring and we offer to God is a weakness, mourning, pain, sadness, ashes, 
captivity, brokenheartedness, in order to receive the things that I've been working my whole life for? Hmm. That just didn't quite sit right. I'm thinking, wait a second, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't seem right. And then I got to thinking, wait a second, if this is what Jesus' job description is, this is what he came to do, was to bind up the brokenhearted and to set the captives free, then that means that he must not have come for me, right? Because where am I brokenhearted? Where am I captive? I mean, I've been living a good life. I've been doing the things that I thought I was supposed to be doing. But the New Testament tells us that God so loved the whole world. So I'm thinking, wait a minute. I know he came for me because he came for the whole world. But he also, his job description is to bind up the brokenhearted and set the captive free. So that must mean, in my logic, in my deduction, that I must be somehow brokenhearted or somehow captive. I've tried my whole life to avoid brokenheartedness. I've tried my whole life to not be captive. I've been able to pick myself up by my bootstraps when things have hurt me, and I've been able to cut the chains of captivity when they've bound me. So wait a minute. If I want to redeem gladness, joy, a crown of beauty, a a heart that's whole, freedom, light, if I want to redeem that from the Father, then what I have to offer is my brokenheartedness and my captivity. So I simply asked, where am I brokenhearted? Where am I captive? Because I don't know it. I can't put my finger on it. Either I've shoved it down too deep that I can't feel it, or I've pushed it way back too far in my head that I can't bring it to the forefront. Or maybe I've put it back so far back that I don't remember being brokenhearted and I don't remember being captive. Where am I captive and where am I brokenhearted? Lord, show me. I think this is where the show and tell portion comes in. be for you guys who are visual learners, like myself. Now, you'll see that I draw like a first or second grader, but I'm hoping to make my mother proud and spell better than one. So, but if I, if I misspell something, don't point it out, please. Just go along with it. This is what I think my captivity and my brokenheartedness looks like. I'm going down the road of life. Seems pretty straight, pretty for, straightforward, simple. I've had an excellent family. I've had an excellent environment, great upbringing. I've been a part of this wonderful church for 16 years. But nonetheless, little things get thrown in our ways. It could be little tiny things. Nuisances. Nuisances. Thank you. Nuisances. Just things that we just constantly are working, working out. Just burdens. You know, the daily grind. And then we might also have some big stumbling blocks in our way. And what happens eventually is we trip and we fall. Can you guys see that? John, can you see that? So we trip and we fall. And what we fall into is our wounds and our captivity. So what we do here is we first, these boulders, these rocks, are our wounds. What do those look like? Can you read that?
Have I experienced these kinds of wounds in my life? Loss, abuse, physical, mental, emotional, abandonment. Has someone left me? Rejection. Has someone not chosen me? Disappointment. Did I have sight set? Disease. These are all things that are a part, what make up our wounds. These are the things that cut us deeply and leave our hearts broken hearted. Have we been looked over? Not noticed? Have we been a source of injustice? And yet, any number of these things could have happened to me, and yet I stand before God and say, I have nothing to offer in terms of wounds or brokenheartedness. I'm fine. I've picked myself up by my bootstraps. I've bandaged my own wounds. I've taken care of it. So I have nothing to offer in, in order for you to redeem. But what happens with normally all of these is they turn into our captivity. So what does that look like? shame. We blame ourselves. We call ourselves something because of these wounds. Addiction. Distraction. Some way to get over the wounds because they're too much for us to handle. Guilt. A pattern of unforgiveness. Holding grudges. Big one. Busyness. And so first, I have to identify my wounds. I have to identify where am I brokenhearted and where am I captive in order to be redeemed for a whole heart and freedom. But what happens is we fall, and we fall down into this crevice. But you know what? We don't go all the way to the bottom. We hold on for dear life. We hold on for dear life because we can't handle the sorrow. It's too much. It's too much to bear. We can't handle the devastation, the despair. And we feel like if we fall, there is no bottom. I'm going to keep falling and keep falling. There's no one there to catch me. So I'm going to hold on. And what do we hold on to? Or why are we holding on? Four things. Fear. We don't know what's down there. We think, if I, if I let go, I'm going to fall, and, I'm, and I don't know when I'm going to stop. I'm going to fall into sorrow. I'm going to fall into despair. That's going to put me into depression. Who knows how, how low I can go? I've heard it said that if I started to cry, the tears wouldn't simply come. It would be Niagara Falls, and I'd drown underneath the sorrow. So we're afraid. We hold on because we're afraid. We also hold on because of doubt. 
I caught myself saying to Carl a couple years ago, I said, you know what? I feel like I'm that person in the footprints poem. And he said, you feel like God's carrying you? And I said, no, I feel like he's not even there. I doubt that he will be there to catch me. So I can't identify my wounds and I can't identify my captivity because will he truly free me? Will he truly heal me? Can I trust him to do that? Another one is independence. A friend of mine said, you know what, I know God's there, I just don't need him. But when I do, I'll ask him. I got this one. I'm full of loss and abuse and abandonment and rejection, but I got this one. I'll take care of it on my own. This independence that we can pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and live the kind of redeemed life that we can only get from giving our wounds and our captivity to the Father. He's the only one who can give us that kind of life. But yet we're independent and we think that we can do it on our own. And then the last one, reason. Spend any time in the New Testament, not one goes out the window. It is when we are weak that he is strong. Everything about the New Testament, the, the prodigal son comes back to a party. If we want to live, we must die. So there is no reason with Scripture, and there is no reason to the way that God does things. His ways are not our ways. But you know what? He's asking us in Isaiah 61.1, he's saying that if you let go. (laughs) I will catch you. If you let go of your fear, you let go of your doubt, you let go of your independence, and you let go of all reason, and you fall, there is a bottom, and I'm there. No one's ever gone lower than I've gone before. So I will be the one to catch you. And you know what? I'll put your feet on a rock and give you a firm place to stand. I'll put a song in your heart, and I'll lift up your hand. With a voice of praise to our God, the world will see and know that the Lord is the one that sets our feet on a rock. We have to go down before we can go up. There is no bridge other than Christ that will get us to redemption. We have to bring something to the table, and that is our wounds, and that is our captivity. The ladies are going to come up to sing one more song that can say this sentiment better than drawing it or saying it. But the thing is, is that I want what he offers in Isaiah 61.1. I want him to bind up my broken heart. I want to get him to give me freedom. I want to move from darkness into light. I want his favor. I want to be comforted when I mourn. I want a crown of beauty. I want the oil of gladness. I want a garment of praise. I want to be called an oak of righteousness for his glory. Those are the things that I want. But I can't do it through my own service, in my own faithfulness, in my own sacrifice. I have to do it through this. I have to find my brokenheartedness and I have to find where I'm captive. And that is my offering. That is my coupon. That is what I bring to the table in order for him to set my feet back up on a rock. There is no other way. This is what he came to do. We are all broken. We are all wounded. We are all captive. Where? Help me, Lord. Help me find and identify where I am wounded and where I am captive in order for you to set 
me free and to put my feet on a rock. We can't do it on our own. We have to go down before we can ever come. And the thing is, is I'd like to have all of that without pain. But the Bible says, in this world, you will have trouble. Guaranteed. But take heart. He has overcome the world.